Welcome to another episode of Season 3 of the Panjway Podcast. As usual, you can find our episodes on YouTube, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Spotify or Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, you pick it, we're there. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash the Panjway Podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at the Panjway Podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store. So if you head over to thepanjoypodcast.com and click on the store tab, you'll see stickers and other merchandise and who knows what might come down the pipeline. All that I can hope is you take me with you when you go. I guess I should have known I can't leave with you when you go. I mean, one thing I've noticed is the difference between undergraduates and like graduate students. You yeah, know, I mean, you when you spend a lot of time with undergraduates, like everything is so I can change the world and I'm different and we're gonna we're gonna lead this change. And graduate students are like, bro, fuck off. I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm just here to graduate. Like shut yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you don't even know life problems yet. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like no, I had to sweat property taxes in New Jersey yet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> anything. I mean, yeah. shit. Uh, I, I mean, I can remember being a freshman in college. Like, I thought it was th- the, the most awesome thing ever. I'm like, wait a minute. How well I do or don't do is completely dependent on me now. You know what I yeah, mean? And yeah. There was a lot of things that I failed at and there was a lot of things – I took my my licks and kept on ticking, but mm. y- you know, like I I wasn't ready to go into the army at eighteen years old. Fuck no. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, I know I definitely wasn't ready when I joined. I was nineteen when I joined, and that yeah. was uh, almost too young for me. Like I wasn't a very emotionally mature kid, so it wasn't definitely was a little too a uh, little too early on. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, hey man, I. I know some guys, you know, my peer class, some are still in, some of them got out, you know, mm-hmm. early, but super successful, sharp guys who came in right out of high school. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? And some guys I just, just have that maturity, yep. you know, even at that young age, but most of us don't. <laughs> yeah. I would have been a very fit soldier coming out of high school, but yeah. I would not have been a very mature soldier. Yeah, of course. Was I, mature I would have anymore. gotten strong by doing lots of wrong. Like I would have been the guy. Like <laughs> you, you know, I, I would have just been that dipshit private who was just an absolute stud because he just fucked. And he was like, "Okay, you're going to punish me with PT, whatever." Like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Oh, I mean, man. yeah, it's going to suck. I know that, but but yeah, I mean, I everything kind of worked out the way it should have with me. You know, I got mm-hmm. I got to do. 
the college thing, which was, which was, you know, which was great. And then I got to, you know, teach and do a couple things before I went in the military. So, yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue. Yeah. I was going to jump in. Cause that's usually where we start these things is kind of yeah. going into that kind of background. Uh, but Luke, why don't you go ahead and introduce our sure. guests since you, uh, you know a little bit better. So we're sitting here with uh, Zach Harrison, who uh, has graciously decided to sit down and have a chat with us. Um, Zach, you, you have the privilege of being our second guest from the American military. That was a part of Medusa, but you're our second guest that was part of taking Sperwingar, which, of course, uh, Curtis and I got to call home for nine months. And thanks to the work of guys like you and our previous guest, Tom uh, Young. Young. Yeah. We, I remember uh, Tom. Got to live comfortably in the schoolhouse that you guys had to bust ass to take. <laughs> so, yeah. But we yep. appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, the way we usually begin these things is we just give somebody a chance to give their the short elevator speech version of their military career. Um, yours is a little bit more storied, so if you don't care to, like, give us the spiel about, you know, why you joined the military, what kind of path you took through the military, and, and uh, what that, you know, what your career ended up looking like and how you came to Panjway. Cool. Well, uh, first off, thank you guys for, uh, thanks for having me on, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I remember Tom, Tom Young very well. Um, <laughs> he's a good and, dude. Uh, it's, it's been a cool experience, man, as this, is, this has kind of developed, like, you know, just seeing more of the, the <clears throat> posts you guys put up and memories and like, yep. Like I remember that place and it's, it's, it's been pretty cool, man. Uh, it's been a good reminder of, mm. you know, what, you know, what that place was like from start to finish. So, mm. um, yeah, kind of my, my pathway into the army, man. Um, I didn't grow up wanting to, wanting to join the military. Uh, I really didn't. I went to an ROTC or a JROTC high school. Mm. Um, not by choice. I was kind of forced to go there by my mom <laughs> and dad, which has turned out to be a great decision by them. Um, and I just, I just didn't like the military, you know, um, I don't know really what it was about it. It was a problem with authority more than likely. So I decided to, to go to school, um, went to college, played football for a few years, got my degree in history, and then um, started working in a school district in Virginia and uh, coaching high school football and baseball, which is really what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I, I was a teacher because I wanted to be a coach. And then um, I started in August of 01, and you know mm-hmm. uh, we all know what happened a month after that. So – um, you know, I knew, I knew after nine 11, I was, I was going to join. I just didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had a time commitment with the school district that I, that I signed up with, uh, it was two years. So, um, I spent that time just kind of researching, figuring out what I wanted to do and decided I wanted to become a U.S. Army Green Beret and, you know, go to Afghanistan and, and fight the Taliban and Al Qaeda, you know, where they planned those attacks. And that was kind of what I wanted to do. So I got an 18 X-ray contract, and um, you know, went off to boot camp in 2003, <clears throat> and uh, you know, that just kind of led me into you know just over 10 years of a of a really fun part of my life. So uh, hmm. um, uh, I've been out for about seven or almost eight years now, um, hmm. but uh, but it was it was a it was an awesome chapter in my life for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think you're our first guest who um, who came who comes from the SF background. Uh, so for folks who maybe aren't as like 
tapped into the knowledge like what what was that process like for you personally i know this changes all the time i'm sure uh but yeah. what was it like for you to like go through selection and things like that and you know get since you, especially since you came in on the 18x contract instead of you know coming as living bravo first or whatever right yeah so basically the 18x rate contract i don't know what it's like now but but back then <clears throat> it was it was basically it was just a fast track to get to SFAS, which is you know special forces assessment and selection. So you go to boot camp as an eleven Bravo, um, you know you know infantry guy um, went straight to static line jump school right after boot camp. So th- three weeks there, and then um, PCS to brag from Benning and went to a um, we had a pre selection course. It was about a four week course where all these 18 x-rays were fundamentally um, getting smoked every day, all day long. Um, and, and really learning the skills needed to be successful at selection, i.e. Uh, land navigation um, and some other, some other things that some people coming off the street, you know, like myself, I didn't do a lot of camping in the woods or boy scouts or stuff like that. So like, you know, learning how to tie knots and, how to pack a rucksack and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and that course, and then went to selection, um, was fortunate enough to make it through that. And then I got assigned my MOS was, which was an 18 Bravo. I was a weapon sergeant and went to the, uh, weapon sergeant course. That was about four months, four or five months at the time. Um, you do a small unit tactics portion, which is about, I think it's about five or six weeks. We were learning, you know, patrolling in rural environments. Uh, language school was tucked in there, uh, and then SEER school as well. I think that was pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think all in all, it was about a, a year and a half start to finish from boot camp to finish in the Q course. Damn, that's a, that's pretty that's pretty quick from uh, civilian to long tab. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A, I mean, I, I think, how, how I was think that the Bravo because it was such a small. It was such a and 18 Bravo was four months, and I was like, man, that medical stuff sounds cool, and you can do stuff with it after <laughs> after the military. I was like, but there's, there's just like a year, a year mm-hmm. and a half almost, yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, ugh. And I didn't know how long I wanted to stay in at the time either. Weapons sure. sounded cool, so that's what I picked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how was that mindset shift? I mean, to go from like a school teacher to, you know, SF in less than two years? Ooh, man, that's a good question. Um, I tell you, I... I had, I knew after the attacks on 9-11, I just, I knew almost immediately afterwards, like, I'm going to go do something. I don't know what it is. I had time to figure out kind of what I wanted to do. And I also had time to kind of make sure like, hey, this is a serious decision that you're making. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, there's, there's consequences that can happen from this. Um, and you know, I, I spent, I spent a lot of time in kind of self-reflection, like, Hey, you know, are you willing to do this? You know, it's a big change. And it wasn't that hard for me because I didn't have any children. I wasn't married at the time. I just, I had a job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, and I did enjoy my job, but it wasn't that hard to cut away from it. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, part of the, the physical and mental toughness, I, I think some of that I had you know, developed in me through years of team sports and stuff. Um, and, uh, but yeah, if, I don't care who, who you are, how in shape you are, if you don't want it, 
a hundred percent, you'll find a mm-hmm. way to not make it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, and it's just, I mean, that's what I've seen in my experience as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it was, it was, it was definitely a, a process that I went through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause it's not like, it's not like a street fight or a bar fight, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, where <laughs> you just get your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or your pride yeah. hurt, or you get, you know, a broken nose or something like that. Like, it's, it's different and I didn't really have any I didn't have um, you know any basis off of that I didn't know like what it was like to be shot at or you know shoot back at people you know all that stuff so um, yeah. but I wanted it you know and, and I knew I wanted it so um, you know I was I was glad I made the decision to go for it you know so when you uh, when you got to your first unit um, so the Panzer deployment wasn't your first deployment. So you got one deployment in there before the, the 2006 rotation, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And it was, um, it wasn't a very long one because <clears throat> when I finished the Q course, third group was, was deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I signed into third group immediately after, you know, finishing the Q course and was just waiting for a rotator bird to take me over there, you know, mm-hmm. um, so it, it wasn't a full eight, they were doing eight month rotations back then. So I got over there, I think right after halfway through it. Um, mm-hmm. so I got a little bit of experience. Um, it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of the winter time. We were up in a ruse gone, you know, seasonal fighting. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely learned a lot in those four months, no doubt. Um, but it, it definitely wasn't as busy as the next one was for for sure. Um, sure. so yeah. Um, now were you with the same ODA in, in both deployments or was there a change there? No. Um, so when I got over there, um, they basically, (laughs) it was funny. They signed me to Charlie company first battalion and they were completely filled up with 18 Bravos. You know, typically an ODA has two of each of each MOS Hmm. and they flew me over there. The Sergeant major was like, I'm, you know, your ass is going out to a fire base. And I was like, thank God. Like, right. You know, (laughs) um, so he, you know, he picked, I I don't know how that Manning worked, but he picked one and it was ODA three, 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 um, which was, you know, everyone who was on the team called it three X. Um, and, um, so I went out there with that, with them. And then when we came back, I was still attached with them. And then ODA three, one, which, is where I met Rusty and, and all the guys from from Medusa. Um, one of their Bravos left for Swick, so they had a they only had one. So the sergeant major pulled me over, and that's my second trip. I I went with um, with three one with you know like Rusty and Bill and you know Dave, all the guys from from Medusa. Okay. Yeah. So how how much time did you have with them before you before you left? We had. Um, let's see, probably two months. Okay. Um, yeah. So we came back from that trip. Everyone went on leave, you know, for two or three weeks, came back, you know, kind of the cycle was as soon as you come back, it's, you know, you're refitting and you're, you're starting your next training cycle before the next rotation is kind of how it was back then. Excuse me. So I was lucky enough to get, a month of, of team training with the new team before we went over there, um, on that trip. And, you know, we didn't, 
We had no idea what we were going to do. We were told we were going to like uh, spin Bulldog, you know, and going to be d- doing missions, you know, down on the border the whole trip. And the next thing you know, we'd land. We're like, we're not going there. So, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, but so, but it was good because, you know, everyone kind of, everyone does the same stuff tactics wise. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's small little techniques that certain teams may do. You know, they may, they may, you know, task organized vehicles and equipment a little bit differently. You know, so it was it was good, man. Um, to, you know, to get a month training with him before we went over there for sure. What were some of your first impressions of uh, Rusty and those and those other guys? Um, well, the cool thing was, um, Bill Brown, um, who was a, a friend of mine even before we made it to third group. Um, I was lucky enough to he was on that team Hmm. and um, he was kind of like a mentor and a big brother to me. So when I went over there, I remember one day we went fishing out on his boat and he was just kind of telling me, he's like, Hey man, like this is because he was with them during, you know, the previous rotation. When I went to that one ODA, he got kicked to them. Okay. So he had like four months with them as well. um, The rotation prior. So he knew the guys, you know what I mean? He knew the nucleus of the team. He knew Rusty, Uh, we had a new team sergeant at the time, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I felt like I, I fell into place pretty quickly. It, it, they were a good team. Um, they were funny. Like there was some, <laughs> I, there was some super strong personalities, mm-hmm. man, like super strong personalities, and, but, but I loved it. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. I was one of them, you know, I was a new guy, so. You know, I knew my role. You know, I, I was never one of those new guys who who spoke unless he needed to type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was a good, strong team that had good experience, uh, right. and I was I was really I was really comfortable. You know, going on a rotation with you know the three, two or three senior guys there that knew what, knew what the hell they were doing. You nice. know, <clears throat> so yeah, it was it was a good team. It was a good team. So you guys uh, got to Kandahar and you're kind of, you know, you're doing your thing for a little bit, but how long were you guys there until you started getting the, the rumor of the big, big Medusa operation? Cause that was kind of a, a, a my memory's really foggy on everything. So <laughs> forgive me. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of a quick notice for y'all that you were going out there. Right. Or did yeah. you know ahead of time? Yeah. I, I mean, like we, we planned the whole rotation, you know, up, up until, you know, my, I mean, it's been a while now, so my memory may be a little bit off. It was either right before we left or right when we got to CAF, mm-hmm. we were supposed to be going to, to spend Bulldog down on the border. Um, mm-hmm. And we were supposed to be, you know, running missions and trying to intercept, you know, there was a big pipeline coming in and out. Uh, I think it was quite a, um, and spin B was like the only thing between I think Quetta and, and Kandahar. So, and then highway one, you know, that goes up, but, um, yeah, we land, we're like, Hey, we're going to go to gecko for a few days. Um, which I think is now what they changed it to firebase Mahalik. Um, but, um, Tom Mahalik had just been killed like a few months before we got there. So they hadn't officially 
uh, right. name, renamed the Firebase yet. So when I say Gecko, I don't, I'm, you know, not trying to be disrespectful to Tom. Um, it's just what it was called when we were there. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I mean, we, we started hearing rumors and then the next thing you know, it's like we are in full planning, like yeah. rumors for a day, full planning, you know, and all we were doing was like, we were getting our gun trucks ready for wherever we were going. So the team, we had a ton of work to do to, to get, you know, primarily get the vehicles ready. But, you know, there was just a lot of prep work to do before we blasted out anywhere. Right. You know, the vehicles were rigged up by the previous team, you know, gunners have their preferences on how their turrets are set up, you know, like a bunch of different stuff. And, uh, but it was not long, man, you know, it was not long. Uh, and, and then the planning phase started and then, you know, I didn't know what the hell I'd never heard of the district before, you know, right. like <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty quick, man. Hmm. Now whose whose idea was it to drive across the desert? Huh. Um, and how I think that there was that idea at first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, so me being a, a junior E6 at the time, um, first rotation with the team, I, I was busy doing, doing other stuff, sure. you know, as far as like the big concept of the operation, um, you know, <laughs> but you know, drive through the desert. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think all of, I think everyone underestimated what the hell that thing was. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I really, <laughs> I really do. Um, but I, it, I think general bulldog kind of pushed hey i want you to do a big push south cut west and then and then come north to try to to try to pin these guys when the canadians start pushing so i think i think the concept of the operation was good but i mean you know how that works man um but like that desert was Dude, you know, I, it's, I, look, it's so I, hard I, I, to describe it to people. I mean, like, like, yeah, it's a crossing a desert, and in their mind, like Mojave or something like that. I'm like, no, like, think Sahara. Like, yes, like mind blowing. I've I've never. I mean, I've seen the I've seen the southeast or southwest deserts of the U.S. You know, um, at that time, that that was the really only true deserts I've even seen, and none of them compare. Right. You know what I mean? They're not. Yeah, not even close. There's only a few places that I've seen out in California that have like dunes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and there's there's not a lot of them. Uh, and and I could be wrong. Like you know, I'm sure someone could tell me there's tons of them, but um, I've never experienced anything like that. Like it, it was just. It's like, it, it's like something in a movie that you see, like the wary stranger like dragging his feet with holding like an old canteen. And it's like, Oh my God, there's another one. Like every time you crest the hill, you're like, it's gotta be the last one. Right? No, it's not. <laughs> you're going to be stuck 10 more times and it's going to take out, oh, man. Dude, some of the, the most frustrated I've ever been in my life was in those like five days driving through that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, was, I imagine was... those like low body trucks are getting like, are like high siding on the top of the dunes all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mine mine almost tipped over once. I mean, I I started to, j- to jump out of it. <clears throat> it didn't roll. I mean, thank God. <clears throat> but 
you know, I had to take, we had to take everything off of the turret so we could hook the, because we didn't know when we hooked the winches up if it was going to roll or not. I'm like, well, we can't break the gun. You, right. know, you know, we're going to need that. Like, uh, and um, you eventually got it down, but it was just the digging, man. And like, then we had, you know, I can't remember how many ANA we had at least one full company. You know what I mean? And you know how it is, man. We were trying to, we were trying to control everything, you know, like they had, they had trucks that were easier. So there was times we would let them scout. And then the next thing you know, like we're driving through and everyone's stuck. And it's like, you know, thank God there's no buildings around here. And this is the most desolate place on the right. planet, you know, cause if we got, if we got shot, you know, ambushed right now, we are, you know, like mm-hmm. not good. Did you guys ever get hit going across the desert or did you? We, we didn't, we found, um, we saw at one point this small group of buildings. It was like, I wouldn't even call it a village, man. It was just a bunch. It looked like ruins actually. Yeah. And there was this huge boulder that was completely flat and you could, we drove past it and you could see burn marks on it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and they, we sent some, I can't remember if one of our gun trucks with a couple of A trucks went over there and they, I don't, I don't know if they saw the, the booster dunnage or, but they could tell like they were using that rock to like sight in their RPGs and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw some people, they, I think there was a couple pop shots, but fundamentally we got in like one small engagement, but fundamentally, you know, the biggest threat there was just getting the truck stuck endlessly mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, i mean if you had it, to guess as a percentage of the time how much time were you stuck and how much time were you moving <laughs> i would say probably 20 percent of the time we were stuck i mean yeah okay. realistically you know yeah. it, i mean you could hit some patches out there that you could tell were i mean you could start reading the terrain and figuring it out but there was other times it's like there's no other way yeah you know like and now you got a gun truck that's 12, 13,000 pounds with, mm-hmm. you know, they got, they're, you know, they're clearances. And these were like stripped they, down too. They weren't like full on like, you know, minus. Yeah, but I mean, they were right? loaded to the, they were yeah. loaded to the brim with ammo, man. Cause yeah. you know, we didn't, you know, we had no idea really what was, we had no idea what was going to happen. So like we, mm-hmm. they were, they were pretty heavily loaded out and then, you know, we, one, someone's vehicle broke down. I mean, we had to fly in a mechanic. He ended up determining that the vehicle was deadlined. We moved out, called in a, you know, dropped a bomb on it. The mechanic spilled like diesel all over his, (laughs) he spilled like diesel fuel all over his feet. And then his feet got like burned. It was just, it was, it was, a five-day selection event, 24 hours a day. <laughs> like, that's what it was. That's what it felt like. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, well, town. thank God yeah. I went to I went to team week at SFAS because I know what this is like now. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it was brutal, man. Oh, man. So before you guys made the trek, I mean, what was the intel situation? Like, what, do you have any idea what to expect? I mean, I know some guys had been into Panjway before. Did they try to kind of 
tell you yeah. what, was, what to expect? Well, I mean, we when we ripped out with Seventh Group, we had like, you know, typically what we would do back then is you have like two or three days, you know, cross-pollination with the teams before you officially take the base over and take over operations and they, they rip out. I mean, you guys know the deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew from them and their 18 Fox, their, their Intel guy that, um, when we, when we got the gecko and they knew we were going out there, they're like, Hey man, like, you know, that's, that's where Tom Mahalik was killed. Every time they pushed in there, they met, heavy heavy resistance and it was mm-hmm. fundamentally like you know when we went in there or at the time we assumed operations it was fundamentally an open i mean they they op- the taliban and you know um anyone else operated freely in the area mm-hmm. you know fundamentally yeah um and uh you know the biggest intel we kept getting was during our you know the planning phases like how many of they how many of these fighters they think are massing because you know the big picture was hey they were going to do a summer push to retake kandahar mm-hmm. you know like they were going to take the city over and basically what they were doing was they started they stopped pushing in all these fighters these these foreign fighters and these fighters coming in from pakistan to the other traditionally hot areas and they started bringing them in from Helmand and down from Aruzgan and like even in through from like Quetta going past Kandahar into the Panjway area. They were massing there for that, that summer offensive to take the city over. And, you know, I think I think the estimate we got was, hey, man, it could be anywhere from initially the initial estimate. It could be anywhere from 500 to 2,000 or whatever. Mm. And then as we got closer to the mission, they we, we learned it was, it was closer to the higher end of that, um, mm. you know, or, or it was, it was at least a, well over a thousand, mm. you know? Um, so, so it was going through your head, like, especially if you guys closed in on, on Panjway and when you start setting up those first positions and things like that, like what was going through your head knowing that you're walking into a hornet's nest? Well, I mean, the Canadians kicked off the entire mission you know, the, 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 the big concept of the operation was we were going to come in from the south and be either a blocking or diversionary, um, mm-hmm. primarily diversionary to get them to like, we wanted to get them off the major, right. the major roads so the Canadians could push. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to initially bring them down to us and they just, you know, basically turned all their guns to the east, man, and just hit the Canadians with everything they had, you know. Yeah. Then there was like on the first day the Canadians lost lost a few guys, yeah. had quite a few injured and they had like a blue on blue gun run. You know, there was a you know, mm-hmm. F sixteen went down uh maybe that was the next day after that. So there was a lot of like I for lack of a better term, kind of chaotic stuff going on. Um Yeah, it wasn't going well for the main effort. No, it was not. No, no, it really was not. Um, So, uh, yeah, man, it's it's one of those things that, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, it it was hopefully that they weren't going to get pinned down, but they did. And, um, 
you know, then we went in and it, you know, we learned it was more of a kind of a shit show than, than we originally thought it was going to be. I, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know, I know reading the few things that I've read, um, I know a lot, a lot of the estimates were that most of them were north of the river in what's like now Zari, like the white schoolhouse and all that kind of stuff. But it turns mm-hmm. out that more, actually more of them were in the horn near Spurwangar, um, which is, you know, a lot closer where you guys were than where a lot of the Canadians were. Um, so when, when did you guys start to realize that there were quite a few guys south of the river too? Um, I would say that was probably... I don't know, within the first few days, man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, within the first few days because we actually had had some guys squirt on us. We could, we saw like some spotters and they squirted and we went to this like antenna tower mm-hmm. and um, like found, found some good Intel in there that like, I mean, it was, there was people, we knew there was, they were around. Yeah. Um, and then when we kind of broke, when we kind of broke into near, near reggae where we staged before we kind of went up yeah. into spear one gar, Mm-hmm. Um, we hadn't really been hit yet, but we knew, man, you could like, Just we had ISR footage of, mo- we have, you know, we had ISR footage. We had, mm-hmm. you know, Tom and his guys doing their thing. You know, we were getting intelligence dumps. Uh, and, and quite frankly, man, you could feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know it sounds kind of weird to say that, but I knew when we went up there, it, there was, uh, there was a fight. You know, you could just feel it. it's something in the air. You could just feel it, you know, like mm. it was too calm. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was like too like pristine. Like the wind was just a few miles, you know what I mean? And it's like, mm. yeah, but. Well, and reggae is this weird spot, you know, like it's right up against the agricultural zone and like it's peaceful, but it's not like everyone there is a they're not shitheads but there's a lot of them there Mm -hmm. it's like they live there and then they go and they they play around in the in the the horn it's like when you're near reggae there's a weird feeling it's like i'm safe here because they they don't like shit where they eat but like i know that the minute i step over into the the fields it's on Mm -hmm. yeah and reggae reggae um that was always one of those ones it was like they're so close to where we're we're at and where we're gonna be. There's there's no way that they're not tied in somehow, some way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And like they fundamentally, I mean, it was kind of a strategic area for them because right. before all the routes had been cleared to to go north, there was only one way to get out of that place, mm-hmm. you know, with any speed whatsoever, and it was right past Regay. Right, you know mm-hmm. that yeah. that village, and it was mm-hmm. well within, you know, um, you know, machine gun range and RPG range, and and you know, Riley Stevens, you know, rest his soul, man, he, he could find something anywhere, and every time we went in the reggae, he found something. Mm-hmm. You know, we found something. I mean, they were they were staging weapons out of there, they were staging IEDs out of there. Um, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They were, you know, it was. I won't say the entire village was bad at the time. I think half of them probably just didn't really understand what was getting ready to go down. Right. Mm. 
uh, and hell, we didn't either. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So, so can with, you, um, oh, go ahead, Curtis. I was just going to, you know, to bring it back to when we were there in 12, reggae was this weird, it was peaceful. We never got into a firefight in reggae or, you know, we call we split them into two big and little reggae. But, uh, what we would had heard was that essentially that's like where they lived. So like they, there was never any fighting in reggae, but as soon as you left reggae, 200 that, meters, north 200 reggae, meters, then it, it, was, it, it was game on. It was on. Yeah. But they're yeah. like, yeah, that's where they sleep and they don't want, they don't want to have gunfights where they sleep. So they leave us alone when we're in reggae, but as soon as we leave, it's on. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's yeah. interesting to see that that didn't really change in <laughs> six years. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, man. I mean, Hey, they're, they, they knew even when we got there, like when we got there before, like I said, man, any engineering or demolition had been done to, to clear any lanes of anything. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, they could literally get right up to the base of that mountain, you know, uh, if we didn't have ISR, they, you know. It, it would have been a, a, probably a different outcome. And what I, what I mean by that is like, you know, it's without that, the, it would have been completely, we wouldn't have been able to hold anything with, right. without that. Uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was a, uh, you know, every time, every time I step into that area or in a vehicle, either on foot off of that, you know, spear one guard, man, it's just like, I would imagine it's the way the guys in Vietnam felt, you know, like you have no idea they could be 15 meters from you in a ditch and you'd never see them. Mm-hmm. You know, like people think don't under, don't think of Afghanistan as, as places like that. And I'm like, there's places like that. Yeah. You know, it's not the jungle, but it's mm-hmm. worse. <laughs> I mean, it might as well, it might as well be in the end of summer. It's real close. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, we we knew there was a lot of guys south. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. you guys were staging up in in the reggae's. Um, what was the movement like to Spare One Gar? Like, I'm assuming if it, if the village if the villages laid in like they did in 2012, you would have struck west and then north on that more open terrain. Yes. and come into that schoolhouse that was to the south of Spare One Gar, right? <clears throat> yeah, so. Reggae, yeah, you come up, you were kind of you were kind of channelized um, mm-hmm. uh, by an ear gate. There was a ditch, mm-hmm. and then there was like the first row of walls for the first structures that were, um, I want to say, just to the southwest of of like the bottom of the hill, and then mm-hmm. there was a there was a path that went up. And that's the one we ended up driving up uh, when we ended up taking the hill. But the first time we went in there, man, <clears throat> we basically, we all went, ran black on ammo and we had to break contact and move back past Reggae, mm-hmm. uh, set up a RON site and then get um, get resupplied. And then I think it was the next day we went back in there. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, I knew the first day we drove up there, man. Like I, like I was telling you, I like I knew. I think we all did. 
Mm. You know, like this is kind of a movement to contact right now. (laughs) Not not like, Hey, we're just going to drive our vehicles nice and easy up on this hill. Like, and nothing's going to happen. Like, um, so you, so you care to run us through that first, those first few moments, like when you guys started pushing up and I mean, how soon did you take contact? What kind of contact did you take? Like you can care to run us through that first day essentially. Yeah. So the first thing I heard, we were, we were basically moving up in a wedge, right? Mm-hmm. So like very tactical. Of you. I was on the left, I was on the left flank in my truck. Rusty's vehicle was on the right flank. And then um, I believe our whatever we had Dave uh, <clears throat> Dave's truck was was a point, and then mm. I just heard a two forty rip off. Like I was looking left, like kind of towards the mountain and the buildings, and then I heard a two forty rip off, and I'm like, I just kind of look over and I hear it rip off again, and I see it's mm. rusty, and then I kind of see what he's shooting at. But, and then he comes over the radio with troops in contact. And I hadn't heard anything. I hadn't heard an incoming round or a shot, nothing. Hmm. And I'm like, well, I like, I don't know what's happened over there, but I really think something's getting ready to kick off over here on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next thing you know, they, they started, um, they shot an RPG at our, at my truck. Uh, it landed. I don't know, within 10 meters of the driver's door. I thought it, mm. thought it, you know, fucked up my buddy Dave, uh, Dave Smith, who was driving. And it peppered me in the shoulder with some shrapnel. And that, and that was their initiation of the ambush. I think they shot once to get Russie just to start engaging. And they, they basically started volley firing RPGs at us. Mm. Um, and uh, they were, they were pretty good. And they actually had air bursts. Was my first time ever seeing Fucking those. A. Yeah. So um, they were shooting air burst RPGs at us as well, and um, you know, just you could just see it. They go off. I'd never really seen one before in person, <laughs> so it's kind of mm-hmm. weird. It's like you hear it, and it's like you look up, and by, and by the time you look up, you just you know you can see it hit the flechettes hitting the ground and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it's like. You know, the old World War II movies with the bombers when they're shooting flak. Like, that's what it looks Mm -hmm. like. Just a Mm -hmm. black, you know, black plume of smoke. Um, And then, you know, we basically just kind of, we maneuvered a little bit on them during that engagement. But they were were on almost three sides of us. And the only side they really weren't on was the one we came in. Yeah. And we didn't have, I mean, it was... We weren't going anywhere at that point in time, so we just we made the decision to break contact. So we we popped back. Um, I went to Kandahar for the night, came back, rode back out the next morning, and then that day we pushed back up there like an hour later. And so uh, you, you you left because of the shrapnel, right? Just to get it yeah, patched up. Yeah, they it and it was, you know, it was nothing really, but. You know, my medic Riley at the time was like, Hey dude, like you're going to get that flushed out or whatever it was. So, Mm -hmm. um, so did, uh, and then came back the next day, we reloaded everything and we went right back up there. And that was the day we actually got the vehicles up on the top. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, that was 
That was a pretty interesting day as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How did that play out? I mean, was it was a did you guys have a little bit more of a plan to to push forward? Was it yeah. more organized or well we had more air support. Okay. Um, mm. and we had that makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah, we we had more air support and then I think if my memory serves me correctly, like um we pushed I think we pushed some of our Afghanis up on one side to kind of take it away from them being able to be on three sides of us, you know, versus, versus two. Um, and you know, the, the rate of, I I would say the fire that day was not nearly as intense and as, uh, um, consistent as it was the day before, like, um, but the first vehicle drove up, my vehicle went up and as soon as we crested, that's when the, our, our third truck, um, hit, hit him, hit an ID that was in that, on that, that pathway. Um, yeah. and, um, we just heard it and saw the plume of smoke and could see, you know, turn back and could see the debris in the air. Fuck. Well, we had just crested, crested the hill. And we're getting shot at too from, you know, a couple right. different areas up there. Um, we had people dismounted. Uh, I know Rusty had an L, like three or four guys and some ANA. They were dismounting and they were moving up as well. They had a ANA guy step on a mine and blew his leg off. Um, you know, so it was, it was pretty hectic, but that was actually fairly fast from what, what I remember it, you know, like yeah. from start to finish, you know, and that's where Jude Voss, you know, there's a guy named Greg Stuby who was an attachment of ours. He was in that vehicle. He was a turret gunner <clears throat> that, um, in the vehicle that got hit. And, uh, he was in there burning in the, in the, um, you know, in the turret and, and Jude, who was in the truck behind us, he was, Jude was one of our combo guys. Um, went up there and got him out of the turret and stuff like that. And, um, you know, under fire. And I believe he got the, uh, silver star for it. Um, I think it got, it got upgraded, didn't it? To a DSC. It may, it may have, it may have. I'm not, I'm not sure, man. I actually, it's, I, I have reconnected with Jude recently on Instagram. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of cool, but I, I, I didn't ask him. Um, yeah, it's but, not uh, a question you ask. Him. Hey, man, your ward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a great dude. How much though, of a man. hero are you now? Yeah, he's he's the most humble. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met in my life. So uh, he he was he was a great guy to work with. Um, but yeah, so we got up there, and um, we eventually pushed in and cleared cleared the building. Uh, they they I, you know, what we think happened is they kind of. They just wanted to take some shots at us once we once we crested the hill, and they just went down the backside and disappeared. Oh yeah, is what I mean is what I think happened. Um, there wasn't like a huge prolonged fight once we were up there. Um, so secured it. We flew in some guys from a from a mine detection unit. Um, Smart <laughs> came out and, and swept swept the whole. Mm. Damn, I think they swept the whole damn hill. I hope mm. so, yeah. And, mm. um, you know, cleared out a bunch of AP mines that they had put up. Now, Greg and uh, – Greg was the one that was most seriously hurt, but Jude was hurt too? 
Yeah, Jude had like he he got he he got some burns. Uh, no, for okay. sure. Um, and Stuby was, I mean, from what I heard, I was up, so I didn't see any of this happening. I right. just heard it all on the radio. You know what I mean? Like we right. had shit we had to do up there. Um, and we had a dismounted element that we needed to support with our heavy guns in case they get, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and they, they had support down there. Um, but, uh, yeah, man. I mean, Greg Stuby, you know, he, he just, he fought tooth and nail to come attach with us on that, on that trip. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, he was a 10th group guy, you know, he was just in Afghanistan at the right, you know, when we were and he wanted to come out and we could use him. So, yeah, you know, Rusty decided to bring him, and, you know, gets, he got, he got jacked up, man, but you know, he's a stud. He fought through it. And, um, you know, I, I've lost, kind of lost contact with him, but Greg was always, he was always, a just an awesome guy, man. Like he's just an awesome human being. Um, so I hope he's out there doing well. I know I, I picked up his book not too long ago. I haven't uh, haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I bet um, it's good, man. I, yeah. I would I would bet it's good. Um, he's very well spoken. Um, you know, he just you know I, I've seen some of the stuff he did with some of his hunting shows and and stuff like that. He's just you know, and that genuine and nice of a guy like that's who he is off camera. You know, for for sure. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll have to look get that book as well, man. Now, was he how long before that you were able to get him medevaced? Um, I think the medevac was uh, probably by the time he got hit. I'd say he was probably packaged up and and out within. I would say probably thirty minutes. I think they That's had incredible. birds. I think they had birds already spun up for us. Oh, okay. okay. Based off what happened the day before, so right. I, th- I think they were loitering some air assets on a rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think I mean Kandahar. You know, Kandahar was a pretty quick burn time for them anyway. But but they were in. I think what took longer than anything was just making sure that the HLZ was secure. Did yeah, you know about the bomb in the hill? The JDAM. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we dropped it. <laughs> we dropped oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We knew it was Tom up there. Tom was telling me, I was like, "What do you mean? There's a JDAM in the hill?" He's like, "Yeah, it's still there." I was like, "What it's the fuck?" Two thousand pounder, man. <laughs> yeah. So the first, it, the day before, um, the day we got in the first con- big contact, mm-hmm. when we we had to break contact, um, and that's that's um, when I had to fly back to Kandahar. Mm-hmm. And it came back the next day. That day, we we knew they were guys on the hill, but we also knew there were guys kind of in like north and then west, kind of in like this C shape around us. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so we dropped a couple bombs on top of the hill, mm-hmm. and one of them, <laughs> one of them didn't go off. Yeah. Um. So they ended up like. Oh, it's crazy, man. Like I haven't thought about that that thing in that hill in, in years, but you're, you're right. You know, like completely forgot about that. But yeah, they backfilled it, and they're like, "Yeah, it's good." You're like, hey, do you understand? It's going to take half of this 
top of this portion of this hill is going to blow completely off. <laughs> completely gone. <laughs> if, if, if this thing detonates, like oh, we're man. putting we're putting sniper positions and like machine guns and shit up here, dude. Like rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we need to make sure. No, it's good. Okay, they just filled it. Well, that was re- that was revealed to us uh, via Tom and. I was thinking that a whole nine months, just this 2000 pound bomb sitting in the side of this hill. Like, imagine if it had just gone off. Yeah. Just like yeah, the whole, the bad. whole HLZ, our schoolhouse, everything would just been covered in dirt. Everybody's that ears would be bleeding. Yeah. Like, oh, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And, and it would I, take we us like, weeks to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were asking like, well, how far down did it go? Yeah. You, you know, and, and I, we didn't, I didn't go up there. You know what I mean? no like, <laughs> uh, and, you know, supposedly there was just this big hole, you know, and it just went down and they just, I can't Spilled remember if they, in. they, they got like a small tractor or whatever it was, something up there. I don't remember how they filled it, but they filled it. Um, <laughs> they de- I definitely don't think they did it within the first few days we were up there because, mm. Yeah, because Tom was talking about it was the it was the latrine. <laughs> so they were shitting down the hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was crazy, man. Because like when we went into that schoolhouse, I have a CD somewhere that's got a bunch of pictures. Oh, I'd love to see that. I, I mm. need to find. It. I'll find it, man, and I'll give. I'll send you guys some. Yeah, that'd be great. They're pictures from that whole mission. Um, Dude, that, yeah. But but I'll find them. In that schoolhouse, we went in. <clears throat> The first time I went in, um, there was this room, and they had burnt the entire room, and yep. from floor to ceiling, mm-hmm. and the entire everything was just charred black. Mm. And um, the Taliban had been writing; they they were writing in the the soot on the mm-hmm. walls, you know. And there was handprints, and there was all this. It was. Uh, it was kind of spooky, man. Super spooky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was but the remnants of that stuff was still there. Was it really? When we were there, yeah. Like the like the like the upper reaches of the walls and like the ceiling and stuff like that. There's that st- was still there a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was, it, it's just a strange place, man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then we immediately started building fighting positions and fortifying it like immediately. What was, um, uh, I mean, as you the guys kind of settled into the schoolhouse, like what was the next few days like for you guys? Because, I mean, it wasn't over once you took that hill. No. I mean, the next, I mean, I would say it was almost two weeks. Hmm. Um, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty eventful up there. Uh, the first couple days, um, basically, we've, I found a a low position right on like the northwest, the north edge, overlooking all the marijuana fields, going to the main main route and looking out over the Argandab. Hmm. Um, and that's pretty much where we ate and slept for three or four days. You know what I mean? Um, and we were pretty much fighting from our trucks. Uh, the the schoolhouse we they we immediately sandbagged the windows um put some um put some machine guns on the roof sandbagged them in and then there was a little building 
um, or, or a little, a small compound that was on the footpath. I guess it's on the, I guess it would be the northeastern or the northern side, but kind of the eastern where you could walk down and right next to the hill, butted up to it was a compound. Oh, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's still there. Oh yeah, it's gone. Yeah, uh, that was there the whole time. That that was there the whole time we were there uh, as well. And another truck. So basically, we strong pointed the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was two ODAs up there. We had we had our A and A with us, um, and you know they they made some attempts. Yeah, you, you know to to take the hill back, but <clears throat> they um. They didn't take an account Spectre. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a new uh, concept to them. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things I will never forget is for night after night after night after night, mm. that that Spectre gunship was, was dropping munitions, man, all mm. over the place. You know, daytime we were using more Apaches and A-10s. Um, we just, you know, using the big bombs, they were they were fighting us at three, you know, they were getting pretty close. Um, mm. So during the daytime, we would just kind of like shoot rockets and, and do gun runs on them. And then at night, you know, they were they were probing a lot in the first couple of nights, like how to get up, mm-hmm. how to get up close, what to do. And, uh, you know, I just I'll never remember sitting up in my turret on on guard, man, like looking under my PBS 14s, like just watching Spectre circle and drop and boom. You know, you and then I was, I was looking for targets too. What's yeah. that? <laughs> What's that? So I'm, so I'm glad you had to deal with PBS 14s too. That puts us on the same level. It's oh yeah, man. Step <laughs> my first rotate, my first rotation, I had seven deltas, dude. Dude, oh, really? Even oh, yeah. as SF, huh? Yeah. So that makes deltas. me feel better. Actually. Yeah, I got, and then I felt, yeah. I felt like a rock star when I got 14s. <laughs> um, I had seven deltas in Iraq, but, but the mount was broken. So I yeah. had to hold them with one hand and look through. They were, so they were basically like a, 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 a like broken monocle. down version a of, of, uh, of the 14. So I had a monocle, yeah. nail, not vision, but because yeah. of that mount was broken. So I was driving through the deserts of Iraq holding my nods in one hand. <laughs> it's funny, man. The, the first pair of dual tubes I ever owned was when I was starting OTC. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, they were starting the 15 i believe they were the 15s we mm-hmm. had a couple sets of those on our team mm-hmm. uh we primarily gave them to our drivers um yeah it makes sense so especially in those those types of areas where you know it's just so freaking rugged they really need to be able to see well mm. um, I, I feel like the rise of dual tubes in in the army was very it was like almost overnight it was like one year nobody had them next year's like hey what are those ranger guys doing and then suddenly like Everybody had them, except yep. for obviously, you know, conventional infantry guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man. And I mean, um, they they absolutely changed the game in every Completely. way, shape, and form. And, you know, the stuff they have coming, I hear that they have now the integrated, you know, they had, they had integrated thermal layovers when I was still, when I was in. Hmm. But to hear how much they progressed and what they can do with just, you know, a set of nods. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Um, you know, we use the white phosphorus, the 31s, and you can, you can almost, they're beautiful, man. Like, it's like putting sunglasses on. 
It is. Yeah. It is. And then once you get them dialed in uh, and you know how to make adjustments based off the lighting conditions, like, you know, you can always read a book with, with good ambient light, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, well, I was uh, thinking, I mean, I've spent thousands of hours under nods, but, and then uh, the Apache, our, uh, our eyepieces is, is, it's green. It's thermal, but it's green. It's like, I have so many hours of just staring at green imagery. The first time I put white Foss nods on, I was like, this is, it was complete like night and day. It was like, it was like daylight out. And I was like, this is incredible. Why don't we have this now? Now they do, but it's just, I don't know what the technology is behind it. <clears throat> um, but I have found way less eye fatigue. Way, yeah. Way, absolutely. just way less um, underneath the white. And I, and I think... I think they're more um, they're more detailed. Like when you're mm-hmm. target discriminating somewhat at a distance, a little bit, you, you can definitely. Would, yeah. They're just crisper for sure. But um, I think but yeah. up close the difference is fairly minimal. Like inside of fifty yeah. yards, I don't really see too. But it's like it's the long range. Yeah. Like yeah. like I can see that that's a mosque a mile away. Whereas under greens, I'd be like, eh, it's a bunch of buildings. Kind yeah. Of thing. Funny funny story. So we were it was it's the first or second night we were up there so we were on like you know at that time over 50 probably 75 percent in our rest plan like we were up 75 percent um and i was on my turret and i had they were the, the past 13 bravos um the old big handheld thermals <laughs> you could mount them to me um crew serves and machine guns and, and guns like that. But I kept one in my turret and I would just use it to, to spot at night. So, uh, and I could also attach it to my Mark 19. Mm. And uh, so I'm looking and I see a heat signature, like multiple heat signatures, but they're way out. And you got, you got to remember at this time, they didn't even issue us maps of the mm. area. Like, <laughs> We didn't have maps. We didn't have GRGs. We didn't have overhead imagery. We didn't have anything. Mm. Like we had our compasses <laughs> and our and our GPS. You know our our Fortrexes and, and you know right. GPS uh, GPSs. But like we didn't have anything to really go off of. Mm. So I'm looking out and I'm like, man, I remember uh, looking studying the map. I'm like, they're on the other side of the river. And that's got to be... It's like two and a half K. Yeah, I was like, I, I just remember going, that's at least 3,000 meters. Like, mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, they're at least 3K. Yeah. And I, I'm seeing, I like, and I keep like, you know, at this time you're tired. You're like, shit, am I droning with, you, you know, that, that's <laughs> definitely a red heat, multiple red heat signatures. Mm-hmm. So I switch over to the internal comms with the pilot. And um, I'm like walking them in. I'm talking them in, you know. And it, he's not finding a man. Like my depth perception is something's off. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm giving him an azimuth. I'm giving him like, hey, it's across like north of the river. He's not seeing him. And all of a sudden he's like, he kind of chuckles. He's like, hey man, it's five camels. And I, was, <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, Roger that. I was like, were there any guys with the camels? I mean, usually they're they're moving with them. You know, and like, yeah, we were. At that time, man, anyone who was moving in that area, it's, I mean. Bad news. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't moving, there for good reasons. Just, just smoke the camels for good measure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it was um, those first those first you know the first week particularly was mm. was pretty interesting, man. Um, and then we started pushing out on foot. We we basically we strong pointed it. We got engineers out there, and the next thing you know, we started getting supplies in. Right. You know what I mean? We started getting like we thought we were in the freaking Ritz Carlton when we got Porta Johns and <laughs> portable showers. You yeah. know what I mean? Like um the showers didn't come till way later, but it was rough, man. Like we were we were going to the bathroom and like holes that were already dug the same places they were using right before they left. It hmm. it was like moon dust up there. Mm-hmm. You know, before they got all the gravel, it was literally when you're walking on the first tier, all the driving that we did in the first couple of days up there just mixed it all up. Mm-hmm. It, it was like this. It was like talcum powder. It was like yeah. foot powder. Yeah. And it was it, in some spots, man, it would go up to like mid calf, cool. you know, mm-hmm. and like you would just get completely covered mm-hmm. in this shit. Um, and you couldn't avoid it. You know, yeah. this was this was before gravel got out there. Anything we didn't have Hesco's up, nothing. Yeah, it's interesting because that's one of the things. Like one of my defining memories of Iraq was the moon dust, and I never we really didn't run into that as much in Afghanistan. Sure, we did. We ran into it all the time, especially oh. over like by Zangabad, like on the roads, like just outside Sparwangar, and um, not not like in mass though no not huge yeah. areas yeah like a whole sports. area covered in mm-hmm. that stuff that's it's true. just different ball of wax with and the exception just... of the day that he had it but that's a different story well that wasn't that, one. <laughs> that was mud that, that was, was just different. mud and then when moon dust gets wet it turns to cake batter it does yeah it does i mean that's exactly when it would rain that's exactly what it would look like man and mm-hmm. it was just you know i mean it's part of the job but you just I'd Just rather be where the suck. sand was blowing all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, you just got Kate, your weapon systems were fucking constantly, excuse me, um, mm-hmm. were, were constantly like the maintenance you had to pull on, you know, just from the wind blowing that stuff around. And then, um, but so we basically started digging uh, fighting positions and interlocking, you know, we, we, we started fortifying because they're like, "Hey, we're not, we're not leaving. Mm, you know, right. we're going to maintain is, a presence here." Now. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, the first couple weeks was more, you know, the actual battle, um, and then, then it was like kind of like a short period of time where they realized they had just used poor tactics against us and and really gotten hammered. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were kind of regrouping. Um, as kind of the summer was was starting to end and the fall was starting to come in. Um, how about the, the the Canadians and their their part of the operation? How did how did seizing the hill kind of help them? And how did what, were you, what was your interaction with them once you took the hill? Oh man, like um, I loved working with them. Uh, I had a great we had a great relationship. I can't remember the the name or specifically how their tasks organized, but there was a group of badgers, you know, they're, they're APCs. I think they were called badgers at the time, hmm. basically their version of strikers. Oh um, yeah. 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 And, um, so a bunch of them came up, we had, 
uh, a squad of snipers. Um, and basically, um, the snipers went up to the very top and they kind of built their, you know, they're like, Hey, we're staying up here. And they kind of started building, building, you know, good SO slash, you know, you know, an SO position up there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they got some guys from, from up there. Um, uh, one of them missed a guy on, I think it was Zanga Badgar. You know, the mm-hmm. one that kind of looks like the, yeah. the dinosaur Dude, back. That's yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a healthy Yeah, he shot. was up there with a bat. He had a three, three he had a three, three, eight Lapua. Okay. And there was mm-hmm. a guy up there squatting and just, he was with binos watching us. Hmm. Um, and I don't remember how far it was, but I think at the time it would have, it would have set the record. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that had to be over 2000 yards. Yeah. yeah at least was, a couple clicks. It, it was, it was a long shot. Um, and he shot once, man. He barely missed him. Oh, yeah, and missed him. You know what I mean. And by the time he reacquired, the guy was gone. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, they got hit too, man. Then they the IED started, and then, but when they came up, man, they were they were with us the entire time. You know, mm-hmm. um, they did. We kind of would fill them in between. Like my ODA kind of took. If North was twelve o'clock, we had like three to nine, and then mm-hmm. the, our sister team who was with us had, you know, three three to nine on the other side. You know, the six o'clock, and right. then we would we would take the the Canadians and kind of space them in between us. Mm. So, you know, you know, we did the the SF Vietnam build a firebase thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, seriously, that's what that's what we did. You know, put out, you know, claymores, and we had, um, we had mortars locked in. Um, you know, we started trying to burn the marijuana fields back. We started trying to clear space out a little bit at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. Tried for like two days to set that damn marijuana field on fire. Um, <laughs> it does it would, not burn. Don't want to burn. It would not catch. It yeah. would not catch. We tried everything. Our engineer was he was pissed, Dave. He was pissed. He's like, I've tried everything. Diesel fuel, incendiary freaking, you know what I mean? Like incendiary grenades, everything, man. Like it mm-hmm. will not light. And it was coming. <laughs> Just you know, like burning a wet magazine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at that time, man, they could literally get to the base of the hill in certain mm-hmm. directions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, they had the network. They had the tunnel systems, the irrigation ditches. Mm-hmm. the spider holes everything dug where you know could they do it in mass i don't know um but you know we once we started digging in man i specter just annihilated them at night i don't know mm-hmm. any other way to say it's it. a good feeling they just yeah. they just did man and it's like holy shit how many of them are out there mm-hmm. you know what i mean like what do you think your uh, your your big takeaway from that from that operation and that mission was? Like that what's the what's the memory or the specific thing that you just carried forward with you through the rest of your career? Um Wow, dude, that's a great question. Um <laughs> He's been sitting on that one for like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh I, I guess the biggest thing would be when 
and, and it's what we kind of preach, what me and my partner preach when, when we're teaching, whoever we're teaching. It's like, hey, man, everyone wants to know these fancy things that these special operations guys do. Like, what do the Rangers do differently than the than the 82nd? What do what does SF do differently than Range Battalion? Or, or what does CAG do different than Dev Group? And, you know, all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, it really taught me, it's like, Hey man, cause it, that was kind of like my introduction to like, you know, real, you know, I mean, I, I'd been in a few engagements previously, but nothing to that magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it was like, Hey man, you better be shit, shit hot at the basics. Mm-hmm. Like the fundamentals or whatever you do are key. Like, you know, there's three gun trucks up here. If you didn't take care of your Mark 19 and it goes down, there's 33% of our firepower. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that can get over top of any of those walls right now, you know, so it's like, you know, I practice for hours on my T&E to get that thing where I needed it to get shots on, you know, you know, and get a burst in a specific area and in a good tight group quickly. And I think, man, that's what I took away from it. And it's, you know, it served me pretty good when, when I went to, you know, OTC and even, even before then going to sniper school, it's like, Hey man, like shooting, shooting a rifle at distance is all about the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the tactics that we use, you know, um, are all about the basics and, um, I think that's what I took away from it, man. Cause it, it, it showed that it worked, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, simple, simple fire maneuvers. Yeah. I, yeah, I may not be able to hit them with this weapon system, but I can keep them pinned while the Apache circles, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the, that's the stuff that, that, you know, I, I really took away from that. Mm. Um, how, how a small group can do a lot of stuff by just, sticking to the basics and using your assets properly. Mm. You know, guys like Tom Young and, you know, the pilots who are with us and, you know, even, even down to our interpreters, man, you mm. know, like, um, so no, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it was a fun month, you know, like mm. it, it, it was miserable at times. Um, it was super exciting at times. Um, but I, I tell you, man, I'll, I'll never forget it. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, that yeah, old rotation pretty, had to be yeah. pretty foundational for you to be a part of. And, and all in all, I mean, it's a unique operation in terms of not just GWAT and Afghanistan, but, you know, Kandahar and, and Panjway. But the timing, like 06, you know, the timing yeah. was just right. And uh, it was just, it had to be a very unique operation to kind of be witness to. So that that's that's pretty cool to get that front seat to history kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's funny, man. I've got a, one of my team, my team plaque on my wall right here. And it's, uh, it's September 11th that year. Um, we had just gotten in a gunfight, like, I don't know, an hour or two before, uh, nothing like super crazy, but, um, and then, uh, we went right on top of the hill September 11th, took a team Mm. photo, American flag. Oh out. yeah, yeah. Behind mm-hmm. us, you can see like all the all the marijuana fields and and what it looked like before there was any like construction done. Right. You, mm-hmm. you know. Um. But I, uh, I, yeah, man, I'll for sure when I find those pictures, man, I'll, I'll, 
put them on a zip drive or something and send them to you. This, it's, you know, Masum, there was nothing on Masum, like it was, there was just nothing out there, man. Mm. Um, uh, and it was, it was a cool time. You know, we, when we started dismounting and going on foot is when I really learned what that place was like. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> which was about this, I'd, I'd say probably, I don't think we did any foot patrols for probably, if my memory serves me, a week. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, maybe even closer to two. Um, but when we started pushing out um, and just, because even looking at, even looking down at it from, you know, satellite imagery or from, spear one looking you yeah don't, even you don't from the hill understand what it yeah. looks like until you're down there mm. it's uh no it's really challenging you, terrain and it's hard to describe to people why it's challenging when yeah. it's it's flat yeah uh. <laughs> yeah and even like when we first got there and we've talked about this with guys like when you land you got the back of the bird and you walk up on the guard tower or whatever and you looked out over it you're like oh okay i can do this you know and they had no idea, like the, the, I don't know, intricacies. Of well, I mean, we place. had we had a guy. I mean, there's so many stories that are popping up in my head. Um, we had a guy from the Tenth Mountain. I believe it was the same day. The jet went down. Mm. There was there was a fighter jet that that burned in. A pot the pilot died. Um. And we. I believe there was another, I know the 10th mountain was separated from us and we had started to work with the 10th, 10th mountain pretty early on in that operation, hmm. uh, as well. And one of the dudes was in a gunfight and I don't, I can't remember if he was in a great field or what, but he got bit on the hand by a viper hmm. by a snake oh, and that. they had to freaking medevac him out. Cause I mean, you know, the deal, like, Every snake over there's, at least in my recollection, was poisonous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they had pit vipers. We found them all over. Oh, they're they all over the place, yeah. man. We'd find yeah. them. We'd find them up there, all the and in calf, or not in calf, but in gecko. Mm-hmm. I came around the corner once with just a towel around my waist and my flip flops on from showering. Stepped around the corner and was like, I mean, I almost jumped out of my skin, man. It was right. They're <laughs> all over the place, but you know, like. Yeah, this guy had to get evac because he got bit on the hand by a snake in a gunfight. In a gunfight. Hmm. Yeah, I mean there was just there was what a lot the of just of that craziness are. going on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like what are the had, mathematical uh, chances of getting bit by a snake in a gunfight? <laughs> yep, yep. There he was, man. And then like, um, I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, another, it's kind of funny looking back on it, but when we were coming up through the desert, the last time we were talking, like. We had one of our ANA AD is AK through his wrist, you know, in the middle of the desert. You know, I kept telling him I saw him doing it. He would he would rest and he would yeah. he'd put the oh muzzle my he'd gosh. put the muzzle like this. He, that's how he'd rest, <laughs> and I kept telling him because his gun truck was kind of like near mine the uh-huh. whole kind of the whole time through. Mm-hmm. I kept telling him he'd rest, and he, you know, yeah. Stop doing that, <laughs> Jerry. Our turf was Jerry. It's like Jerry. Tell him to stop doing that. And sure as shit, man. Perhaps. We're like, we're on a, I think we were stuck. Someone was stuck. Mm. And we were just pulling security while a vehicle in the middle was digging out of that 
godforsaken sand. And uh, year one, pow! And the next thing, you know, like we are, and it's from our per, inside our perimeter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, it's behind me. I turn around, what the? And I didn't think it was. I thought it was an AD. You know, back then mm. it, there wasn't a lot of that. The green on blue stuff. Green on blue stuff yeah. at that time wasn't a, wasn't a huge concern for us, really. Yeah, but mm. AD'd right through his wrist. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, now Riley, who was who was our medic, you know, he wasn't a huge. God rest his soul. He was he wasn't a huge fan of taking care of people who do did stupid shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Mm. And he's like, I told them, you know, like, um, but yeah, just, I don't know. Since we talked last week, I had a bunch of just funny memories uh, Mm. pop up. That was one of them. (laughs) Um, I mean, the going to the Afghan guys, I mean, it's it's actually a pretty good topic because obviously we've talked to to Rusty about the the ANA and our experiences with the ANA were very different. Um, You know, we worked with basically mostly um, Uzbeks and, and Tajiks. Really? So yeah, because they did this thing. They're like, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna move people around. We're gonna we're gonna you know PCS people around the country." So the units that we worked with weren't Pashto. They were they were they weren't ethnic Pashto, and they they were horrible. They didn't give a shit. Um, wow. But I know you guys worked with. They were they were locals. They were Kandahari, right? Uh yeah. Most most of them were from uh, the Kandahar province. Yeah. Most yeah. most of them were. We had. Um, We actually had quite a few Hazarn mm-hmm. um, yeah. as well. Uh, but yeah, they were all, the best that I can remember, they were all positive. Yeah. Minus the Hazarns, but they spoke, you know, I mean, they spoke Pashtu. Um And, you know, we had, uh, hey man, it's, it's, it's challenging. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was challenging for us. I know it was challenging for them. You know, they're they're not they weren't in the best situation. You know, like our, our Terp, we actually got him over here. He's a citizen now. He came That's over good. a couple years ago. Thank God, uh, Jerry. He was he was our primary Terp on that rotation. You know, like he was born and raised in Kandahar. He's an educated guy, right? Like he spoke like three or four languages. He was smart. You know, went to college, um, hated the Taliban. You know what I mean? Like, hated him with a passion. And, you know, we eventually got him over here after, like, the third attempt on his life. They killed his uncle. They were leaving night letters left and right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he, he, we eventually, you know, luckily got him over here. It's only a matter of time. But, yeah, I forgot about and, this practice of night letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was a weird little thing the yeah. Taliban did, too. Yeah, and we would just go places, man, and you're like, we'd do a foot patrol, and we'd walk and clear someplace, and it was like, even when the people were allowed to come back in, we'd go to a place, and it's like, you can tell people live there, but it's just a ghost town. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, where the, where on earth, did you know, and then occasionally, not occasionally, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you just knew every step you were taking. They know they know exactly where you are. You know what I mean. And this they're moving was bef- on you. You know they're moving. They're trying yeah. to figure out where and you're this going. This was before. Like- this was before the big, you know, 
AP mine threat mm. in the area. Yeah. You know, I mean, we did our best and stayed off the foot foot trails. I mean, they were they were there, but when they mined a place primarily, then it was a piece of high ground because mm. they knew okay. our TTP. Sure, sure. We go, we we'll push someplace, and if we find any hill or anything like that, we like to get trucks on it. Right. You know, so we pushed into um, was it Maywand? Oh yeah, and um, we we pushed way deep in there mm-hmm. on like a four day patrol one wow. one time, and um, we got to a hill and we were we were getting ready to push up, and I'm like, I remember calling uh, Rusty and like, hey Rusty, like let's kick the like we got the mine detectors here, like it's gonna take an hour, it's gonna be a pain in the ass, but let's do this. And, yeah. and we did it. There was nothing there, but we knew they would do that. But anyway, back to like the walking around down there. It wasn't until after we left that they started getting real crafty, crafty, you know, like, and then, you know, my partner was in Ranger Battalion um, before he went to the unit. And I know I know the Rangers went in, were in there a ton after we were, um, and it was just a target rich environment, man. Like you knew wherever if you wanted to go get in a fight back then, that was you know like you were pretty guaranteed to get one if you started pushing into those places. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's what was wild to me about. I mean, even going all the way back to 2012, you know, the, the Horn's not a big area. You know, north at its widest point, north to south, maybe three, three, four clicks. You know, it's like ten clicks wide. But like, there were still places you could go that no one went. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they, it wasn't like they were contested. Like they belonged to the enemy. Like that, and for it to be such a small piece of land, it'd be so close to Kandahar, and it's not like it's in the mountains. It's not completely inaccessible, but it just <clears throat> and it's right halfway to Helmen. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's. We, we did, um, we did a really big mission, um, where basically we had gotten intel that all the wounded from our battle were, had been pushed west, mm-hmm. halfway between like the Horn or the Maywand area and, and, um, what was it, what was the town, what was the city and, um wasn't Goresh, Kalat. Lashkarga? Maybe maybe one of those. Like I, I didn't I never spent any time in Hellman. I know I know it was a rough area. Um, mm-hmm. um but we actually this mission was in Hellman, but it, it was a rural, isolated, like ten compound village mm. uh, right <clears throat> off of the main road. And basically we we had heard that it was a hospital they had taken a couple of the buildings it was hospitals completely owned by the taliban but they had a hospital in there hmm. so this was the night that chief warrant officer scott dwyer died um oh. he was on uh another oda and they had come down to kind of augment and help us out um and we flew out my team was the assault we were the assault team. We had our company A and A came in on forty sevens, and they were the squirter control. Um, sir, his team was circling 
uh, they had two Blackhawks. And as soon as we, we pushed them out, and basically they squirted out the backside, which we had a plan for, and then their bird cut him off and went into land, and he thought the bird was down, and he, he stepped off, and he fell, uh, mm. and it ended up killing him. Oh, my God. But we did, we did stuff like that. Like, after the main battle of, I guess, Operation Medusa, like, that kind of died down. We kind of went into a role of, like, we would we would push to a new area and just kind of see what would happen. Right. <laughs> you know, and then come back, and then, you know, the next day we would go do a patrol around Reggae. You know what I mean? And then, you know, a couple times we'd go you know, do some helo insertions and go push and clear. Um, but it really, it really turned into like, that's when they really started IDing us. Hmm. Um, but, um, so what was y'all's experience with the, with the IEDs? Because I mean, that was like the defining characteristic of our deployment was IEDs. They were everywhere. I'd say, I'd say it wasn't that one too. Hmm. And I think at the time, the amount of IED strikes that were happening, just not just in like the Panjaway district, but the Kandahar province, mm-hmm. it was like head and shoulders above anywhere else in the world, uh, including Iraq on just the amount of IEDs mm-hmm. in the, in the area. Um, you know, kind of what we had been told was <clears throat> a lot of these insurgent groups and foreign fighter groups and, you know, different networks here and there. They started picking up and cross-training with guys from Iraq. Yeah. And they started really figuring out how easy it was to build IEDs, hmm. you know. Um, and most of the ones that we encountered were pressure plate Same. in our area. Yeah. Um, I think we I think we found... We found some command debt, but... I'd say most of them that were found or that detonated were, were pressure plates and same. Man. I, think was, I mean, my, my theory is just because it was like logistically easier for them, you know, you know, victim operated, you don't have to be there. You don't have to, you know, and they're really crude to make. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cheap. And, and I mean, these guys would take two, two saw blades, some electrical tape, you know, an inner tube, you know, a bike inner tube, uh, car battery and some wire, man. Next thing you know, hmm. they're putting them everywhere and, and they hammered them. I mean, they hammered us with them. Hmm. No doubt, man. Um, the Canadians struck several, um, that I think we lost three or four of our ANA had probably three more who were, amputees Hmm. um and and they just realized like hey if we mass on these guys again and we we try to fight them you know i wouldn't even say conventionally but like we try to shoot it out with them rpgs and the stuff that we have like it didn't work for them yeah not there you know maybe in other places it did but the terrain worked to our favor when we could find them. Right. You know, once we found them, it wasn't that easy for them to get away because it's 
you know, it's tricky terrain to navigate. And, yeah. Right. There's only so many know, places they can go. They're not out running. They're not out running 30 millimeter, you know, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> no, um, no, they're not. Well, that was what always stood out to me about, you know, how interesting, you know, the, the battle for spare one guard was is you were able to employ some of these traditional, you know, conventional infantry tactics, so, you know, moving online or moving in a wedge or, you know, using flanking or seizing the high ground. And just, you had the ability to maneuver and how quickly that changed. How he's like, okay, now we're walking in a file and now we, now we can't flank without having a mine clearer in front of us. And, you know, oh, if we get into a firefight, don't run to cover by that wall because there might be an ID against the wall. You just have to stand where you are and take it like, just how just the emplacement of a $25 of a you know IED but you know a thousand of them completely completely changed the way we fought mm-hmm. yeah I mean it it's uh you know I I remember one time we were we were pushing through this area and um uh I was kind of we were pushing from spear one we basically just formed with our a and a and two ODAs, we just walked off the mountain and from north to south, facing west, just formed a line and we just started pushing. Wow. And we cleared every building. Um, uh, we, we pushed out. I can't, I can't remember how far we cleared out, but it, it was a couple days, two or three days it took to do it. And there was some funny... <laughs> The, the enemy decided they wanted to shoot a mortar at one of our 60s that was that was circling so we're on foot okay. I hear this I hear this boom and I look up and I see the this plume of smoke and I'm like that's fucking mortar and there was a helicopter at like 200 feet circling above it mm. and I think I can't remember what the helicopter I can't remember what the the Blackhawk was doing um, but it was there yeah, and then the next thing you know, it just peeled off, and the next thing you know, here comes the Apache right now. <laughs> that that's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was like, <laughs> he was, he was yeah, bait. Re, yeah, he was bait, man. Um, but yeah, and I mean, they weren't that far from us, so there was some interesting stuff. One of the ODAs got pushed in, and they got kind of, they got in a bad spot, man. Um, they got they got kind of surrounded, um, hmm. and the the biggest thing for us was, you know, at that point in time, SF lived and fought off their trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, like we might as well have been mechanized infantry to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> start singing that Marn uh, that Marn Mar, the Marn song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but for the most part, you know, our 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 GMVs were were lifeblood you know what mm -hmm. i mean and then Mm -hmm. you get to that place and they're not worth anything Mm -hmm. too wide you know like they were too cumbersome they were too wide the roads were too narrow there's nowhere to turn like there's no maneuverability like Mm -hmm. you get pinned in somewhere there you can't turn around Mm -hmm. there's walls to your left and right everywhere you go you know there's no way to see something and veer around it it's you know, so when you go on your you 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 push out on foot, like you know, it it I would never know because I was never there, but I've spoken with a lot of guys um, who fought in Vietnam, you know, in the jungle. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know, you hear the stories that they say, like, "Hey, man, like 
one of them was like, I got in gunfights all the time. I never saw the enemy once. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The other one's like, yeah, well, you know, I did because I was in this area. You know what I mean? But like, they could just get away so quickly. And you hear what they were talking about. I'm like, it's kind of what Panjoy was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, no, in nine months, I think uh, I saw, physically saw, the actual person two times, maybe three. I saw the V kick up from the dust of muzzle of a muzzle laid up on a wall, maybe many, many times. Yeah. Few few times. Quite actually that was pretty frequent. But to actually see him, <laughs> yeah, it was was not common, you know. Like to see the physical person was uncommon for us. I mean we I look at it like man if four of my friends could be in an area or a squad of my buddies could be in an area with some optics you know an m4 with a one to six in that area and they like we it was our backyard right yeah you know what i mean like yeah yeah i mean the 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 air assets completely i mean you could never hold that ground without air or mm. take it. I mean, I, I wouldn't say you could never take it, but like you would need a huge number of people, and like, yep. like you said, you'd be seventy-five percent rest cycle. Like seventy-five percent of people are twenty-five percent are sleeping, mm. and I mean, you'd have to move with a hundred. Yeah. I mean, there could be a machine gun two hundred yards away from you, sitting through two loopholes or two holes in a wall. Like, you, you know, like it would take thing. a you. You would need hours on glass to find them, mm. and they're just waiting for that intersection. Mm. that foot trail for you to walk i mean it it was you know and then you take away the ability to drive you know um you know we started using four wheelers and we didn't have the the utvs at that time we just had like polaris four wheelers and we would just make them our rolling asp man put a bunch of gustav rounds and a bunch of saw rounds on them (laughs) and then it would just trail us Mm -hmm. you know um but you know, and then the hardest thing for me dismounted was like the from, you know, I was an E6 at the time. I led, you know, um, a couple of our foot patrols for our ODA, but like then you split up and it's you and your buddy and you got 15 A and A. The command and the control, it was a great leadership experience for me. Sure. You know, <laughs> uh, it really was because. Yeah. You know, the next thing you know, we don't have Terps. We don't have enough to be with all the elements. So, of right. course, they're going to be with key leaders. And, you know, I spoke enough Pashtu at the time to pointy talkie. Right. I, I, I knew commands with people very well. Like, come to me, raise your shirt, turn around, hands up. Sure, sure. But I also knew, like, yeah, yeah. Go away, man. Um but I knew enough commands with with the the squad or the two squads that I would go with. We knew each other well enough. But the next thing you know, you lose sight of them for ten minutes because the tur- it's just yeah, you know. And then every the irrigation ditches and the bridges that cross those for me were I, I they were the like the worst thing. I'd go down fifteen feet 
straight down in the irrigation ditch and know it was going to be a hell of a climb to get back up before I wanted to walk over one of those footpaths. You know, there, it, it's just, it was, uh, it was a cool place, man. I mean, when I, I say the, the term cool, um, <laughs> yeah, we know what you mean. It was, yeah, it was, yeah I mean, I, I would 100% visit in a different, you know, era. <laughs> I would too. I mean, 30, I 30 years what... from now when like, you know, whatever is going on and like, you know, the local Panjoy university is accepting, you know, transfers or whatever. <laughs> Total, I'll totally check it out. <laughs> sure, that <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. not October 2022 though. Uh, we'll probably stick away from it. But. And and I mean, I remember walking and just taking pomegranates right off the branch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, ain't got to worry about pesticides or anything. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember some days waking up and like watching the sunrise and then watching the sunset from mm-hmm. from Spear One. I'm like, there's parts of this like this is. Beautiful, incredibly area. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. especially at sunrise. Yeah, it was gorgeous, yeah. man. Like, you know, right over the, it, and then the next day you'd be like, "This is freaking Mars," <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> I just thought I was like, "This is a different planet," mm-hmm. you know. Um, and depending on where you went, I mean, within a day's walk from Spare One Guard, you could literally be on the surface of Mars in the Registan. You could be like in Vietnam in the middle of a pomegranate orchard, like sweating your balls off in 150% humidity. You could be in open desert. You could be in like uh, an ancient castle from 3,000 years ago. Like you name it. You could be in a river. You know, it, like a, a deep, you know, fast running river. It's just, and I don't, I don't know the historical aspect of it, but the rumor was when we went up there that like Alexander the Great had built Spear One. Hmm. as you know um, a fort hmm. you know um you know it that's it, that's it surely I'm, looked man built the way that it was i mean it, it yeah, doesn't absolutely. look like anything else in the area it's all yeah, yeah. It's like all the, dirt it's it's not rocky it's yeah. just it's just like he just had people out there for six months just hauling buckets of mud yeah you know yeah um was, and I've been digging into that. I'm going to get an answer. I, I just ordered a book off Amazon that might have some answers. But yeah. my theory, based on what I had heard, because I'd heard similar things. I've heard of the Soviets built it. But what I think it was, I think it dates back probably three, two, three thousand years ago. Alexander the Great or somewhere in that era um, when when the Greeks occupied the area. And that the the plateau, like you know where the schoolhouse is, I think the Soviets put that there. Uh, um, I think the, the schoolhouse came after... The Soviets left. That, yeah, that, that for UN. sure was done. Yeah. after after the nineties. Yeah, because yeah, I know there's like there's like a timestamp somewhere. It's like ninety three yeah, or something. Yeah, like, well, you could tell. Somebody took their could... finger in the concrete and put like ninety three on there or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the you could just tell by the way it was built that it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah. terribly old. No, and no. and it wasn't Soviet construction either. It was very clearly like you know UN US kind yeah. of like that brief period of time where we were in there. So that's my theory. I think it's, you know, very, very ancient hilltop, the main the main mound, and then the Soviets the the, the swimming pool at the top, I think that's the Soviets. And then the the pot toes the Soviets and the school was the UN and then you know, that's that that and would was, be my guess. That's my It was my man due I guess south past Regay. The big mountains, there was a there was a pass it went right through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so <laughs> We went and did um, 
kind of an SO mission for, for three nights, me and two, three other teammates. Um, basically, what we were trying to do is figure out, are they using this village back here, or this, these groups of compounds back here to stage and bring shit through this pass into Reggae and then yep. from Reggae all around us because they were IDing everything. Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, we lost a teammate on that trip mm. about a month after uh, in November. Um, and, you know, we were just, we were trying to figure out how they were doing it um, <clears throat> to try to intercept them or something. Right. And we went up there, man, and we were walking that ridge line. It was a hell of a climb. But we got up top, and like there's tons on those ridge lines, tons of old fighting positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know how if you guys ever went up there, man. But like, Curtis did. They, you see, <laughs> I mean, you'll walk, and next thing you know, you, we were walking under nods. We we're trying to find our our final position that we we're going to be in. So we we're, we had the air, the idea of where we wanted to be. You get up there, and the next thing you know, like you're you're walking, and you like look down what the fuck what is that you know and it's like shine your laser in it you're like oh it's and then you'll see the rocks built around it mm-hmm. you know it's just a, a ranger grave right up there right up there on the side of the mountain they're, they're all over the place man um yeah we saw i saw them all the time in uh so when i went back in 17 as a pilot so flying in nangahar um eastern afghanistan everywhere every ridge line you could see I mean, you could see the trails it goes right up to it and there's a fighting position um at that time, though, they were they were smart enough not to put their dishkas there anymore. Yeah. Um, in Farah province, you know, I found caves that thousands of year old caves with rocks stacked in front of them, overlooking paths going through the mountains. Like warfare doesn't change. No. You know? It really doesn't. No, I mean, yeah, and we would just it was we would get frustrated, man, because. Towards the end of that that rotation, we couldn't even like bait them into shooting us. You know, towards the end of it, they just they weren't going to do it. You know, the fighting season was kind of over. They had just gotten hammered, and it was like there were so many IDs in the area. It was, you know, I can't even tell you two, maybe three of those big. They almost, I can't remember even remember what they're called, but they look like, all, they're almost like front loaders. Um, the big mine detectors up front. Oh, yeah, the Huskies. Huskies, yeah. yeah. I mean, two or three of those, you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, I don't know how it was when you guys were there, but they, they had kind of, towards the end of it, they were just, you know, We'll throw out some mines here. We'll take some pop shots when you're on a foot patrol, just mm-hmm. to let you know we're still here. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I going back to what you said, like the last half of that rotation for sure was pretty much all about IEDs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so on the you know the back end of that, you come back. Um, you know what what was. Uh, what was the rest of your military career like, if you don't mind giving us a little tidbit? No. So, um, when I came back from that rotation, um, I went to the, uh, um, level one sniper course, which Sodic 
is what it was called then. They may have changed the acronym now. Um, well, somebody and, has to get promoted, so they got to change the acronym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it used to be called the Special Operations Target Interdiction Course, which was basically where all the snipers, you know, the big army had their school in Benning, and then Rangers, SF guys, CAG guys could go to go to the one that's right there off Bragg. Um, and I met a couple guys in my class who were who were operators in, in the unit. Um, and just, they were kind of the first two that I'd ever met in person. I, I, I know I'd seen some before, been introduced to sure. to some before socially, but, but didn't know any of them well. Um, and I just kind of, you know, started asking these guys some questions, man, like trying not to look like, you know, a private, but you like know, a fan like, girl, <laughs> you know, um, cause I only had at that time, you know, I had about three and a half, about just about four years in. Yeah. Maybe mm. four and a half. I mean, if you hadn't gone 18 X, I mean, the amount of time you had in, you'd be, you would have been like a specialist, you know? Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe, <laughs> probably an E5, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. It's... Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I came in as an E4 because I had a degree, which didn't mm-hmm. mean anything. Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean? 18X, you come out as a, you come out as an E5 anyway, right? From the. Yeah. The yeah. Course. And then when you start the Q course, like halfway through the Q course, all the PFCs who were X-rays got promoted to specialists anyway. <laughs> right. And, and, right. And basically, <laughs> basically in the Q course, when you're a spec four, you're a private, like you are yeah. a private. Um, and then when you graduate the Q course, like I, I remember, I don't know if they do it differently now, but they, you know, they present you with your with your certificate, and we got a completion of the Q course, completion of SEER school, and also a promotion certificate, like all in one bang. Right. Because um, you have to be in, you have to be an NCO to be on the ODA. So, um, and then so I met those guys, and uh, just and I was like, I, I just I wanted to try it, man. I wanted mm-hmm. to. I wanted to try it. It sounded like a cool job that I would that I would enjoy, um, more direct action related. Sure. Than than kind of you know all SF does direct action, but it's not what most of what they do. You right. Know? Right. So um, I went to selection. Uh, didn't make it the first time. Was kind of at my five year. I was getting ready to you know I was thinking about getting out. Um, uh, but I went back a second time and, and was fortunate enough to make it make it through. And then I worked out there, you know, from the kind of the time I started till I left was right at about three years. Um, and then my last two and a half, almost three years, I spent as an instructor. Um, I went over to <clears throat> the school is called Sephardic, which is a sister course of Sodic. So okay. Sephardic is what qualified guys to go to the SIF companies, which used to be called the SIF companies, um, which got changed to the CRIF. And I think now they may be disbanded. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but basically it was... And what a, does that acronym stand for or either version of it? Sephardic or SIF? SIF. SIF, uh, Commander in Extremis Force. So basically, that was a dedicated. Each group had a company called the SIF. Hmm. This is back in the day. Sure. Um, and it was one one company, which was six ODAs, and they were 
uh, a reconnaissance, specialized reconnaissance and direct action slash hostage rescue okay. uh, unit that augmented special missions units. So, you know, they had uh, 10th group had a team in, I think it was Stuttgart. First group had a team in Okinawa. Everyone else was, was CONUS, but they were basically, you know, the CQB guys of special forces. And that's what they kind of focused on. Right. Mm-hmm. So to go to one of those companies, you had to be qualified and go through the school that I ended up teaching at. Um, I worked out there. I was like a primary CQB instructor. I taught, uh, I taught the hand to hand program out there for a year. Um, we did, obviously I, I taught the pistol and rifle marksmanship, the night vision stuff, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I got to a point where I hit 10 years in just over 10 years and I was going to, my next reenlistment was going to have to be in death. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I have a daughter that that's autistic, um, severely autistic. And at the time she had kind of just been diagnosed and there was just a lot of uncertainties going on and sure in life in general. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready to, to commit for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just wasn't, you know, I miss it every day. I don't regret getting out, but you know, it was, I, I, the army was good to me, man. I had a, I had a good time, you know, the, the whole time I was in, got to do some fun, fun stuff. Um, and you know, some, some of the, my funniest memories will be overseas, you know, with war comes some some bad memories as well, but that's you know that's the nature of the beast, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta have the good ones to offset the, <laughs> the shitty yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember sitting up with my buddy Bill, who who uh, he was our team sergeant the whole trip or the whole time uh, during Medusa, and uh, he's a funny funny old boy from Texas. You know what I mean? And just sit up and I just laughing about standing in moon dust. Like he just looked down with his accent. You like to leave this fucking shit we're standing in with his like, you know, Southern Texas accent and, uh, you know, just laughing, you know, having those, we had a battery of one five fives come up there and they would, it, it was two of them and they were airlifted in, they set them in and they would shoot those things all the time. They wouldn't give us warning. They'd shoot a loom rounds at night. Oh, or they shoot in at like to you know to TRP their you know to build target reference points. Right. They were awesome to have up there, but they wouldn't give a net call. And you'd be sleeping, and the next thing you know, they were right behind the school building. Oh. Man. So we slept in the schoolhouse, and mm. you'd be dead asleep, and that thing would go off, and it would just the walls would just rattle, and it would. I remember Rusty got up one night. He was so he was so pissed. <laughs> he was like in his boxers. He didn't even put his flip flops on. I don't think he stormed in there and he came back in ten minutes later. And he's like, "That won't happen again," <laughs> you know? Because I mean, it would. It, I mean, it would. It would rattle you, man. Yeah, you know, um, naturally. You know, and then. Um, so yeah, some some great times, especially in the the, the portion that we're talking about. Um, I mean, you had a pretty, you know, for a 10-year career, you, you went a lot of places and did, did some really impressive things. How did, 
how did that you know experience in 2006 kind of carry you through a lot of stuff i mean you know you you were already uh in an oda you'd already gone through a selection now you're facing the prospect of going through you know another selection being a new guy all over again i mean how did how did your experiences kind of carry you through all that well yeah i mean i i tell you man um when when you see a i, I guess you know a brother of yours and and i say that in every sense of the word you know you guys know how it is when you see someone you know you care about you love you know it it can it can harm you and it can hurt you and it's done both to me i will tell you sure. you know mm-hmm. honestly um but it, it was it was definitely it was definitely a motivating factor to a degree that i kind of I wanted to prove to myself I could I could go to I guess a certain level, but I, I kind of felt like in a weird way it's what I needed to do to to earn it. You know what I sure. mean? Hmm. Um, so it 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 definitely drove me. It and uh, you know I just I believed I always I I loved being in a small team. I love the team. Like I just, I loved being on a team and, uh, you know, I, when I got out of the military for a very short period of time, I wasn't on one and it was, it messed me up, man. Mm -hmm. Like it really did, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but you know, I've got, I've gotten that again, you know, uh, I work for a company that, that, you know, had multiple guys like me that, you know, we get to work together and it was, it was awesome. And I work together now with, you know, a guy that's, we are very similar, um, you know, but we go on trips now, man. And it's like, we laugh at like, it's, it's like stupid private stuff that we laugh at. Like, did you (laughs) you see that guy, you know, his draw stroke and like his holster fell off and like, I'll, I'll come to tears over something like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, I, I obviously I don't try to do it in front of people, but sure, sure. <laughs> what, but yeah, I, I, I tell you, man, like it's everything I learned in the army kind of has set me up for, I think really helped me hone my skills in mm. as, as far as what I do for a living now. And, um, yeah, man, I mean the, the leadership, even on the small level, uh, you know, what good ones are, what bad ones are, Mm. how it can make or break a small team. Sure. You know, like that stuff, that stuff's important, man. Um, you know how it is with your squad. You don't have to go be fishing buddies on Saturday, but you better. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's gotta be a level, the level of trust has gotta be there with, with everyone. And, you know, so, um, like, you know, you transitioned out, like you said, that first year without a team was, you know, kind of a transition period for you in, in some ways, but you hit your strokes and you, you settled into what works for you, man. Like what's, what's, um, what's maybe your takeaway from transitioning out that was the biggest benefit for you or what was the, what was the, the healthiest thing for you of transitioning into the civilian world that I took away from the army? Sure. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things if you want something, I, I, I did learn 
that if you want something bad enough, like if it's meant to be and you put in the work, you can, you can get it. Yeah. You know, if it's not meant to be, you know, that could be breaking your ankle in selection, your second trip up there. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you're physically good enough to make it, you know what I mean? It happens, but it just, you know, I, I'm a firm believer not getting like too spiritual with that stuff because because I'm not super spiritual, but I do believe that kind of everything happens for a reason. And um, like me getting to go become an instructor in front of fundamentally my peers, right? You know, like they were all E fives to E sevens in that course, and they were coming. You know, I was teaching them shit that they were getting ready in a month from now to go do mm. overseas. So the I, I think the confidence that if I really want something bad enough, it, it's attainable if it's supposed mm-hmm. to happen. And then two, like just the skills. I mean, I didn't grow up shooting man and, or, or know anything about tactics. And I, I love, I love being a teacher mm-hmm. and I really got to not only learn the skills, get to do them, get to teach them in the army and it's just really kind of bled over into what I do now. And it, I think it's, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a positive in my life post-military from an mm. instructional standpoint. And, yeah. I mean, it know. seems like that theme kind of strings through your entire professional career. You're a teacher before the military and you're teaching in the military and teaching mm-hmm. after the military. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know, man, like I go do jujitsu and I'm not, I'm not very good at it, but I try <laughs> You know what I mean? I know, I know a little bit. And then, you know, you, this brand new guy comes in and you get paired up with them for the, for the training session. And, you know, they don't know anything except right. for how to lock their arms and spaz out, you know? And it's like <laughs> you, showing someone one thing and it's like, oh my God, that like they pick that up and they'll right. remember that, you know? Um, and that's that's kind of the biggest the biggest takeaway you know i I would say gratifying thing from the i'm still on a team man you know i still feel like i'm part of some type of for lack of better term some type of fight Mm -hmm. you know whether that's against you know some crazy kid that wants to go shoot up a school again or you know against drug dealers and the good guys are going after them and you know it's it's fun man it's fun, um, and and I don't think actually we've even mentioned like uh, what what do you do now? So I mean, what uh, what what is your your job and the company that you work for? Yes, yeah, so um, I got out in 2014, and I started working in the private sector for for a company. Um, I linked up with with a guy that I went to the Q course with, who was running a training company, and I started teaching teaching kind of under his banner, and then. Um, a year ago, um, I linked up with this guy, Charlie Ross, who recently retired. Um, he just, just finished up, came in at 17 and a half years old, like right out of high school, uh, was in the range of retirement and spent, I think, 15 years in Delta. So um, he and I just kind of linked up and we started our own company. It's called Hades Consulting. Um we taught our first class in February of 21. So we're, we're pretty new, man. Um, basically about a year old. Mm -hmm. Um, and fundamentally we offer 
um, training to law enforcement, military, and, and also civilians as well. Um, I'd say the most of what we do, um, most of what we did in our first year was train law enforcement, but, um, so we do everything from like pistol marksmanship, uh, you know, carbine marks, carbine, carbine or rifle shooting. Um, so think about, you know, your standard M4 that a patrol guy or SWAT guys carrying, you know, um, uh, Charlie's a sniper guru. He does some long range stuff. I kind of help with that. It's not really my, my bread and butter. Um, uh, I was just sniper qualified, but I never served as a sniper and he did. Right. Um, and then the tactics, the whole tactic side of it. So everything from open air, small unit uh, tactics, um, which we did a bunch of this fall. Uh, and that's everything from fire maneuver and, you know, squad attack, uh, is, I mean, you guys know what is right out of the Ranger handbook, man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the CQB side of it as well. So, um, we, uh, we don't have like a home facility. We kind of just travel around and go wherever guys want to bring us in and, and do it, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, right. it's a lot of fun. Uh, we love, we love doing it. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to starting our second year, you know, here, here in a couple of weeks. So that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> until I get tired of traveling and sleeping in hotel rooms and stuff like that, like <laughs> it's a it's a fun job. And like I said, man, it makes me I, it makes me still feel like I'm part of something bigger, sure. you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's cool to see guys come to a, a three day class and you you can see some progression in certain in certain things and some light bulbs coming on. It's like yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. So. So yeah, man. Um, we uh, have guns and, and travel a lot. Uh, have, have gun, we'll travel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, man. Um, uh, love the outdoors, man. Try to trying to get back into hunting and fishing as much as I can. I was kind of gotten away from it over the last three or four years, but um, I just love you know being outdoors and doing whatever man you know uh got a puppy brand new puppy who's keeping me busy so that's always nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well i think uh you know the way we usually close these things out is just kind of let our guests take it and run with it and you know if there's anything we didn't cover that you want to talk about i know you mentioned the thing in south texas that you work with those guys down there yeah. So, you know, whatever you want to just plug, man, or have at it, just, you know, floor is yours. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, first off, I want to thank you guys for for uh, having me on. Um, I remember, like, I'm not big on Instagram. I don't I don't post a lot of stuff, like I said last time. And um, I can't remember if I just – you guys popped up as something, and I was like, Panjaway Podcast or – maybe a f- old friend sent it to me. I can't remember. And I saw it and I, I clicked on it. I just, I was like, man, this is, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Um, I thought it was, pr- I thought it was pretty interesting that you guys had, had started this thing and kind of, you know, kept it to a, to a group. I'm, I'm sure if they had had social media, you know, 50 years ago, guys from the Ted offensive or, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, whatever would be doing the same thing, you know, like, so I think it's I think it's cool, man. It helps people reconnect and um, 
uh, I, I know I've, I've reconnected with one guy kind of since this started and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been, it's been fun. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah. Uh, one of the other things that, that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about and, and I know my, uh, my business partner, Charlie is as well as, you know, kind of the, the negative effects that, that people, um, soldiers and, and also first responders can have from, from what they've chosen to do. You know what I mean? Like we all volunteered to, to go into the military, you, you know, none of us were drafted in and, um, whether we like it or not, war is, is, is what it is. And it's, you get what you ask for when you, when you sign up, especially, you know, want to be in the infantry or, or, you know, a special operations unit, you know, and, and law enforcement guys have the same understanding, but they still, we still, I think it's come a long way, but there's still some misconception as to what, um, you know, PTSD or whatever the hell they're calling it nowadays is what it's not. Um, but you know, fundamentally, you know, most people that are dealing with some form of unprocessed trauma, um, you know, especially when they work in a very strong camaraderie based line of work, like the military or law enforcement or whatever, uh, they tend to self-medicate to, to kind of, <clears throat> to kind of deal with what, what's going on. It's just, it's human nature to do it. You know what I mean? I've done it plenty. Uh, I've had plenty of friends who've done it too. Um, and one of the things that, that we, we like to do is spread the word about that place in Texas. It's called Warrior's Heart. And, um, uh, I went to it in 2016 and, um, you know, it's, it's the only place in the country that only allows active duty veterans, current, former, current law enforcement guys, former law enforcement guys, firefighters. I mean, when I went, there was a guy from Long Island who was a firefighter. There was a cop from you know, Austin, Texas. You know, there was me, you know, um, um, believe anyone like, even like EMS, you know, guys who ride around in ambulances and stuff like that, they're, they're allowed to go. Mm. Um, Tricare, they're on Tricare, uh, and most people that have health insurance, their insurance are covered. Basically, all it is is it's a substance abuse and treatment facility that only caters to those that clientele, um, mm-hmm. and they they really do a good job. And I only know this because of you know f- historical family stuff, but like this place does not just teach you how to not use whatever you use they dig more into like the why behind it. So like they're going to, and, and I think that's what makes it so much or very, so special in conjunction with the fact that only certain people can go. Um, and, uh, I just like to spread the word on that man, because if veterans are listening or whoever, um, it may be them. It may be someone they know. Uh, I think the word's gotten out pretty well about the place, but there's still people who don't know about it. I mean, I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago, just got put in touch with him. And I was like, Hey man, have you ever heard of this place? He's a veteran. His friend put me in touch with him. he had never heard of it. And, uh, I think he got down there not too long ago. So, um, uh, 
that's pretty much it, man. Uh, I appreciate you allowing me to share that. It's it's something that Charlie and I are pretty we're pretty passionate about it. Um, just because you know we you know we've seen the people who weren't shown the doorway, and we all know what happens with that eventually. Um, so uh, I appreciate you you let me share that, and it's been awesome, man. Like I I uh, a lot of old memories that just you know, have kind of come in from just that, that month of my life, um, that I hadn't even thought about like that, that bomb on the, in the top of that mountain. Like I hadn't thought about that in forever, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure tonight something else will pop up, man, man, sure. I should have told him this one. That was a good one, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's cool, man. And it's, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to turn back and go, there was some type of difference made in that area. I don't know if that ever occurs. I'm not, I'm more of a realist, mm. but I, I know when we were there and I know when you guys were there, we, we did the best we could to, to accomplish the mission, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever that means now, it means now, <laughs> but, but back then it's, you know, it was just, well, like we say, I mean, you did your job, you yeah. know, like, you know, you as an operator, us as an infantry guy, or me as a, a pilot, like you have a job. Like this is what you go out and this is what you do. Yep. Uh, and your job is, you know, there are people whose job is to win the war and make those policies. And But fortunately for us, that wasn't our job. Yep. So, you know, I can sleep firmly at night knowing I did my fucking job. You Absolutely. did your fucking job. And, Absolutely. You know, you can, yeah. if, if, if you, it's keeping people up at night still, talk to somebody. You know, it's, you yeah. know, re, re, mm. reframe the problem. Yeah. Uh, in, in a way that's uh, more realistic. Yeah, I mean, just in that, just in that Panjway area, man. There's been a lot of American blood spilled. You know what I mean? A lot of it in the last, you know, whatever it was, 15 years. That, and you know, I look at it this way: if it kept the Taliban from taking their home, their, what they wanted, then fuck it, it was worth it. You know what I mean? You know, like it's there's no bigger middle finger in your face than we're going to come into where you formed this thing and we're going to put bases right probably within Every 500, 500 meters years. of where Mullah Omar's <laughs> formed the Taliban. Yeah. yeah. You know, like and we're going to put and every day we're going to fly a flag up on that hill. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. But uh, some cool times there and uh yeah, man, I, I really appreciate it. It's been it's been cool. This is the first this is the first podcast I've ever done, so um, <laughs> good, uh, it's a good place to start. It's, yeah, yeah, man, we're not quite Joe Rogan, yeah, but you know, we're not. Low, yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're also not out of the basement. You know, out of our mama's basement. So no, we're, man, we're kind of somewhere in the between. Yeah, you guys, it's you guys do a good job, man. I mean, extremely professional. When the box came in, I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I didn't know if it was going to be like kind of like a Peltor system with the boom mic. I, you know, I, <laughs> you know, we, we, um, we thought about it. <laughs> yeah. And then it comes um, with a helmet with nods. Too. Well, it's funny. It's funny because <laughs> when I packed this stuff to take it to Puerto, Puerto Rico, I like, I have to make sure I have everything here. So I did like an inventory of it. Like, yep, this, 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 I get down there and I take it out of my bag and I'm like staging it. Cause I was down there for four or five days and I'm like, where's the boom mic? <laughs> I, I, I kept looking at this headset like 
Where's and I, the speaker was like staring at my face, right? <laughs> but I kept thinking there was a boom. I, I was for sure I'd seen a boom mic when I packed it. I couldn't find it. I'm like, oh dear God, here we go. Like, well, fortunately for you, there's another box going around that has a pair of headphones that does have like a boom mic that retracts into it. Oh, uh, really? So that really? That really would have fucked you up. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, man. I mean, like the camera and the the mic system, it's it's good, man. I hope you guys, you know, I don't know what what your next step is, man, but any way that I can help you whatsoever, you know, spread the word. I'll throw out something on Instagram. I mean, I don't have like a huge presence on there, but um, we appreciate. I would it. love to put you in here. touch with with Brian Myers, man. Like, mm-hmm. if there was one other dude, I mean, there's Jude. There's other guys that on my team, man, that would are awesome. You know what I mean? Uh, the only reason I say Brian is because. He's been back in there a few times. Oh, um, he was there during Medusa, mm-hmm. but I still talk with Dave Smith. He was in the book. Um, I don't know if you remember him, but mm-hmm. a few years after Dave got blown up real bad and lost his arm. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. And then he got medically. Yeah. Two years. So he was on the truck with me, Bill. He was driving. I was in the turret when Bill got killed and that mm-hmm. happened. Like we weren't two, 300, maybe 300 meters off that hill where it happened Mm. um but dave became a team sergeant like two years later he went to a different team got promoted became a team sergeant him and this other guy on his team man one of them stepped on something up in um i think they're a cobra firebase cobra up in a ruse gone and it yeah blew him up real bad um, but he's he's living up in Virginia. He's doing good, man. Um, but there's there's you know Jude Voss is still out there. I see him on Instagram occasionally. So whatever I can help you with, um, I, I I would love to help you guys and yeah. I appreciate we that, appreciate man. it, man. And like we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Um, you know you're a busy guy. You travel all the time, making the time. We really appreciate it. It's uh it's it's a unique viewpoint. Uh, that I think was gonna really resound. Uh be very resounding with like a lot of guys that have been there because it's you know it's sometimes just kind of hard to hard to reconcile until you've seen it through other people's viewpoints so we really appreciate it yeah yeah and and one last coincidental i don't i don't really believe in coincidences but one of the one of the guys i ran into at that place in texas man was was an 11 bravo uh who i think 0910 spent i think a year out of out of that place man and they got it was a rough it was a rough trip for him mm. um and i know for a fact if he's out on instagram and he finds you guys like he'll be you know what i mean like it's it's a cool thing you know um you know particularly you know for for people who've been there uh and hey man everyone's got their spear one guard mm-hmm. or, or somewhere you know yeah. what i mean yeah that was just that was the one place I remember my whole military career was like, this is what like just true warfare is mm-hmm. in every aspect, you know, from the, the gunfights on the vehicles to clearing buildings, you know what I mean? Like the whole gamut, uh, yeah. in, in a pretty freaking tough place to, to get around in. Mm. So it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Um, that sounds good, Zach. We appreciate it again, and I'm glad you made the time for us. And it's been good to talk to you, man. It's been a privilege. Well, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Season 3 of the Panjway Podcast. We appreciate you sticking with us all the way to the end of the episode. But just one more thing before you go, please hit the like and subscribe button and make sure that you are following us on our social media.